One of the things that uh, I've been asked to do by uh, the elders is to look at how we pastor and how we care for one another. And that's a kind of strange word for people. Oh, that's good. Thank you. That's good. Now I feel a little bit more at liberty. I've put it on. It helps. Okay. Ah, that's better. Now I don't have to shout. Um, it is a kind of strange word, and we talk, we've sung about the shepherd, and we might even talk about shepherding and, and what's involved, and you think that's kind of a strange thing. Um, I'm saying, is Paula here? Paula, I'm not going to get you to sing, but you're there. We sing a song at uh, Discovery Camp, I Just Want to Be a Sheep. Do you remember that? Yeah? I'll not get you to come and sing. Oh, you don't remember? Don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to come up and sing. Uh, I, I was thinking of getting Alison to come up and sing it, but... It says, I, I, I just want to be a sheep. But actually, most people don't want to be sheep. If you say you're a sheep, it doesn't appear to be a really, really nice thing. So, I want to look at this and I want to think about why this is important. Now, there is a cultural thing that says, I don't want to be a sheep. I'm independent. Other people are like sheep. most famous verse in the Bible on sheep probably is, all we like sheep have gone astray. Sometimes when people argue or discuss with me, people who are atheists, they'll say, oh, you Christians are all just sheep. You all just follow one another. You need, you know, you don't think for yourselves. And there's a little bit of that cultural thing that's reflected in how we respond to this idea. Also, there's another problem culturally is most of us are not shepherds. There's not many people here who are shepherds. My granddad was a shepherd. He was a shepherd in New Zealand for a while and then back in the borders. Um, he made shepherd's crooks, which is great. My dad still has sheep. He has Jacob's sheep, which is, these are the wee black ones. Um, probably one of the happiest months of my life was I did a lambing, which sounds grotesque to a lot of see. I had friends who would come from even the town who were townies. And when they would see you with your arm stuck up a sheep's backside, they were horrified and all the blood and everything. They were going, oh, how can you do that? Oh, that's gross. And people are not used to that. They're not used to uh, animals and sheep and, and everything else. Goes, my, my daughter, Becky, she absolutely adores sheep, uh, or at least these you know, wee sheep dolls and sheep this and sheep that. And some of you know about Sean the sheep and so on. Well, we, we, we're, most of us are not used to the idea of, of sheep and, and shepherding, and it's helpful to get some background to that. And I, I want to suggest, actually, uh, a, a little book by Neil McMillan, who comes here and preaches for us occasionally. His father was called Douglas McMillan, and he was a shepherd before he became a free church minister. And he wrote this lovely wee book on Psalm 23, and it's just called that, The Lord is My Shepherd, and Psalm 23. And he, he's viewing it from the shepherd's perspective. And it's just a fantastic uh, we book. Uh, I highly recommend that. There's also another problem when we look at the whole idea of sheep and shepherding and the church and leadership, and that is the problem that some of you have had with what's called heavy shepherding. And that doesn't mean a big shepherd. Douglas McMillan was a big shepherd. He was also a shot putter, and um, my favorite story of Douglas was when he went back to the Highland Games at Ardnamurchan, and he was there, and he wore his dog collar and the whole thing and he was a bit disappointed because all the local boys were getting beat by the professionals so he went and he took the hammer and threw it and won first time I think a free church minister has won at throwing the hammer and uh, 
But some people have experienced bad kind of shepherding or pastoral care. And this has happened in churches where the leader takes a great deal of authority. It's usually actually where the Bible has been subtly undermined by people who believe the Bible, but who think it's not sufficient. And so they have a word from the Lord, and then they become the ones who you really have to listen to. And to disobey them is to disobey God. And that creates all kinds of problems, abusive church leadership. There are some of you who feel we were so gullible and we were taken advantage of, and now I'm never going to get hurt again. I'm never going to trust anyone again. Remember one lady coming into the church here who'd grown up in a Roman Catholic background and had experienced uh, something of the abuse that had occurred with some priests. And because she thought I was a priest, every time I mentioned a verse in the Bible, she didn't believe me. So she would look just to check it really was there, which I thought was great. It was really, really good that she was questioning and that she was thinking. But some of us are like the teenage boy who's fallen in love, has given his heart to a girl, and that's it. He's going to love forever, and she dumps him. And that's it. He'll never love any woman ever again, and he'll never get her again, and so on. And some of us have had experiences of church which make us very, very suspicious. We like Jesus. We love Jesus. But what's the angle with the church? And you can understand that and sympathize with that. So, we're going to do what we should always do. Go to the Word of God and say, what does Jesus actually say? Out with our culture and out with our own personal experience or in addition to it, what does he say? Let's read John 10 verses 1 to 6. If you've got a Bible, otherwise it's up on the screen. This is Jesus speaking. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. I can't say this about sheep. But I do remember as a boy working on a farm with uh, cows, and one of my favorite party tricks was if I had a friend with me to go out and go to the field and start, yeah, 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 and all the cows would come running. And I would say to them, you try it. And they would shout, and they wouldn't come. Because the cows were used to my voice. They were used to me. Uh, when they heard my voice, it wasn't because they loved me. It was because they associated me with getting food. And so they, they would come running. And that's exactly the picture that Jesus is using here. Now, note at the end of this section in verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Sometimes you're going to come to church and you're going to hear things from here, and you're going to go, what was that about? We read through the Bible, you're going to say, wait a minute, what was that about? And that's why we have teaching, that's why we have preaching, so that It's to open up the Word of God so that we can understand it. Please do not feel that you are, there's something wrong with you if if you're going, "I, I don't get this. What is this about? In fact, can I suggest this respectfully? That if you're sitting there thinking, I always get this, I know what this is, I know what's coming, there's something wrong. We should 
be asking questions. We should be trying to, to work out what it actually means. The key thing here is the contrast between the real shepherd and the false shepherd, between the real shepherd and the thief. They both speak, but the real shepherd has, speaks the truth and his voice has the ring of authenticity. We can't work out everything. You make a big mistake if you say, I'm going to believe this if I can sort it all out and if I can understand it and if I can work it all out. You make a big mistake if you come to church and you say, oh, I'm not as clever as all these people. I can't get all that. If somebody thinks I've got it all worked out, I've got it all sussed, I've got a systematic theology, I've got a set of doctrines, I've got it all neatly pigeonholed and parceled, then you haven't begun to grasp who Jesus is and what the gospel is. We can't work it all out. So how then do we know? Because when Jesus speaks, there is a ring of authority and a ring of authenticity that is very, very different. How do you know with all the different religions in the world, all the different ways that people have of trying to reach God, how do you know? Because when Jesus speaks, it's something that's different. You must never, ever believe anything because I say it or anyone else says it. We believe because Jesus says. How do we know? I find that almost impossible to describe. It's the Spirit taking the Word of God and applying it to us. Jesus, we're told that they marveled at Jesus because he spoke as somebody who had authority, not like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, the religious leaders of their day. There's a real authority in what Jesus says. Now, the word authority we don't like. We don't like the word authoritarian, but we need authority. There is a, a wrong kind of authority in the church, yes, where the leadership sets themselves up as some kind of surrogate Jesus. When, when I said before about the heavy shepherding, this is exactly how it happens. People come to the Word of God and they get, to be honest, they're a bit bored. And so somebody stands up and says, I've got a direct word from God. Sure, that was in Israel 2,000 years ago, and that's wonderful. But I've got a word from the Lord for you right now. And they will pronounce it. And it's so exciting. God's telling you who you're going to marry. God's telling you that you're going to be healed. God's telling you this. And it's just wonderful. But then what happens is a subtle shift. And what was the word of God is the word of the leader and the prophet. And to be honest... Put in that kind of position, many men and women take a power to themselves that they do not have and they should never have, and they become incredibly abusive. It's like people can be manipulative. I, I mean, I love it when someone comes up to me and goes, God has told me that. You know the famous story of Spurgeon, the Baptist minister. Uh, I, I love Spurgeon's wit and humor. And this woman came up to me and she said, uh, or a man came up to him rather, I think a woman would have been too much in those days, and uh, a man came up to him and said, Mr. Spurgeon, God has told me that I have to preach in your pulpit on Sunday. And Spurgeon said, good, when he tells me, I'll let you. That was a correct answer, because people will do that. God has told me this. God, Joni Erickson, you know Joni Erickson Tada, the woman who was paralyzed from the neck down, she records in her autobiography that she's had nine men who've come to her and told her that God has told uh, them that they are to marry her, which means that eight of them at least have got it wrong. And in fact, all nine of them 
uh, got it wrong because she married someone else. But that kind of abusive thing, it really does happen within the church. I listened to a sermon once where the pastor skated over the question of adultery. If If you've committed adultery, that's fine. God will forgive you. God is full of grace. But boy, he went on for about half an hour hammering the congregation for not obeying the leadership of the church. And there's just something really, really wrong in that. Where a leadership talks a great deal about the grace of God and quickly skips over many sins, and yet the great sin, the blasphemy against the Spirit, is to actually question the leadership. In more traditional churches, sometimes you get the authority of the magisteriate. And that's what you end up with in Roman Catholicism. There are many fine Roman Catholic Christians, but I am not buying into at all the Pope as the head of the church, and I'm going to believe what the Pope says. The Pope is a man. He's not Jesus Christ. Bishop is a man, not Jesus Christ. The uh, minister, Presbyterian minister, we, we have Presbyterian popes as well. That, that, no, that we're human beings. Now, the alternative to that, then, people think, is anarchy. And yes, there, are, there can be problems with that. It seems as though sometimes everyone does what seems right in their own eyes. So how do you have leadership and authority in a church and avoid this abuse? And incidentally, for those of you who come from a background where you say, well, we didn't have popes and we didn't have liturgies and we didn't have prophets, we were just a gathered group of assembled believers. Yeah, right, I've been there too. That's where one family has an unwritten authority that you can do anything, but don't you dare cross the line with that family or you're in real, real trouble. There's an authority of personality as well. No, what Jesus teaches us about here is not the authority of strong personality, nor the authority of tradition, nor the authority of kind of physical strength or or psychological strength, but it's the authority of truth, the authority of God. It's Jesus as the shepherd, and it's Jesus who speaks, and it's Jesus whose voice is recognizable. I think that is a a wonderful thing. You know it. You can go into a church, and you you know when you hear the voice of Jesus. Honestly, it's, it's really hard to kind of explain. I remember being in a church in Denmark, and amazingly, they were speaking Danish, and even more amazingly, my Danish isn't very good. It's like non-existent. And yet, as the Bible was being read, as God's Word was being preached, and a little bit was translated uh, to me with the person beside me, I just knew, I don't know these people, but I know this is the Word of God, and I know that I'm amongst Christian brothers and sisters. Lots of churches will offer lots and lots of different things, But what we all have to offer, what we all must offer, is the voice of Jesus, Jesus speaking, Jesus speaking through his word. And that is so important, and it is so essential, and it is so vital. Do you know, we're going to make it in this church when there's there's kind of different responses you get to sermons, okay? There's the response that you get, sometimes someone will say, um, they'll go out, and I've actually heard this, oh, the minister was wearing a nice tie today. Okay, they haven't heard a thing. Um, and in, in this instance, they probably haven't even been looking. But it's, it's something that, you know, you hear people say. And then sometimes they come out and say, say, oh, that was a great sermon. Okay, you get in there. 
but you know that you've got there when they come out and they say, that was a great God. And you forget about the preacher. And you forget about everything else, but you're able to focus on God and what God has done. So Jesus says, look, I'm the good shepherd. You recognize the voice. You hear the voice. And in in the church here, I want to say to you, always listen for the voice of Jesus. If you hear something from a leader in the church, whether me or one of the other elders, and you're going, wait a minute, I, I don't, where's that in the Bible? Where does that come from? You are absolutely right to question. But you must listen and look for the voice of Jesus. The next part in this is verses 7 to 10. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I should have said in the previous one, he talks about how he calls them by name. To become a Christian, Jesus calls you by name. You know that he's speaking to you. You're sitting in a crowd of people, and yet you know that he's speaking to you. You know that it's his word for you, and you are deeply conscious that somehow, through some extraordinary miracle, through a man who doesn't really know you, speaking from a book that's over 2,000 years old, God is calling you by name. It's a wonderful thing when that happens. The thief brings death. The shepherd brings life. The thief or the false shepherd seeks to control, manipulate, and abuse. The shepherd seeks to set free. He brings the fullness of life. Now, let me say this. You will spend the rest of your days as a Christian, if you are a believer, in discovering what that means. In discovering the depths and wonders of that. There's a mistaken view that sometimes we as Christians buy into is that you have this conversion experience, you go, wow, I am converted, and then the rest of your life is trying to hold it together. You're gradually receding from that until you get the final boost, you die and you go to heaven and everything's okay. That's not what Jesus meant when he said, I come to bring life. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I think that is absolutely extraordinary, the depth that's involved in that. In other words, each day for a Christian should be an enriching, an enriching time. The shepherd pastors us, Jesus pastors us, and he puts us in a flock together so that we can, um, so that we can grow, so that our lives can be enriched. Marilyn Robinson, in her book, When I Was a a Child, I Read Books, she says this. I think this is just fantastic. She says, it's very much in the gift of the community to enrich individual lives, and it's in the gift of any individual to enlarge and enrich community. When Jesus calls us, he calls us into a church, and he calls us to be together, and he calls each of us to enlarge the community, but also to, to be enlarged by the community. Jesus, the shepherd, brings life. And this is how he does it. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. 
just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He cares for us, absolutely. I just need to know that someone cares, someone will say. Little old lady living in a flat all on her own. It's just nice to have someone come by from the church every now and then just to know that someone cares. That's fantastic. But it's, it's, it's trivial almost in comparison with what Christ has done. See what the hireling does? He moves on. He's there to pasture the sheep, and then he's called to pastures new. He has other sheep to fleece. And I tell you this, not all, but for my mind, a huge majority of people that I watch on God TV are hirelings who fleece the sheep. And when I see appeals for money for the blasphemy and the nonsense that comes out of that, I think, my goodness, how dare you contrast yourself with Jesus Christ who gave his life and you're busy demanding more and more and more of Christians who are giving to you thinking they are giving to the Lord. The hireling, the wolf, when the wolf comes, he runs away. He doesn't want to get into the fight. He doesn't care for the sheep. But Jesus, how different is he? He could have run. He could have called on 10,000 angels. But he didn't. He stayed. He died. He bore your sin. He carried your hell. He died so that you don't have to die. He went to hell so that you don't have to go to hell. He poured out his blood so that you don't have to lose your life. He doesn't fleece you. He feeds you. He knows you. Extraordinary verse. Look at that verse up there. It's just unbelievable. He said, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. And he says, I know you and you know me. And know in that sense in the Bible is a sense of intimate knowledge. It's the word that's used of husband and wife, knowing one another. It's the word that's of the most profound of relationships. It is intense and intimate and deep and personal. And Jesus says about you, I know you. I'm not asking you to come to a meeting so that I can get something from you. I'm not asking you to join my organization and be part of my gang. He said, I'm giving my life for you. I know you. And this extraordinary thing is, he says, I know you as well as I know my Father, and you know me as well as the Father knows me. And if that doesn't blow your mind, you haven't grasped anything of the extraordinary thing about being a believer and about what Christ does. Honestly, give me any day a hate-filled atheist like Richard Dawkins compared to somebody who says that they pastor Jesus Christ's flock and then use that to make money and to abuse people. It is beyond disgusting that we do that. It's beyond disgusting that that happens. When we consider what Christ did for us and then we turn that around and use even his sacrifice as a form of abuse to manipulate and to control other people, that's outrageous absolutely outrageous. And people say, oh, don't, don't be so strong about that. That's just Christians fighting with one another. And, you know, who do you think you are? It doesn't matter who I am. It matters who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ says. And the charade that gets passed on for Christianity in so many groups and traditions and amongst ourselves as well, it's easily done that we play at being Christians 
We play at church. We're all wound up about ceremony and structure and, and my rights and what I want with this and how come they didn't do this and how come he didn't do that or she said this. And Jesus just stands there as a shepherd and says, I know you. I know you. I give my life for the sheep. That's who we follow. Christ is the head of the church. That's Jesus as the shepherd. But what about us as the flock? Um, there's verses 16 to 19. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there should be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I receive from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the saying of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now there is one flock, and we could say, and I will say more about that another week. But I want to ask this question. The question is not, are you a sheep? Or, well, maybe it is actually. Maybe it's, are you a sheep or are you a goat? Um, you've got to be one or the other. The question is really, which flock do you belong to? Whose voice do you listen to? Do you listen to your own? Do you listen to the voices of this world? Do you listen to the accusations of the devil, the temptations of Satan, the lusts of your own heart, the insanity of this world's pathetic attempts at religion? Or do you listen to the voice of Jesus? You listen to the shepherd, you listen to the thief. You, you listen to the one who gives life. You listen to the one who wants to take it. You listen to the one who is the truth. You listen to the one who is the father of lies. Look at verse 19. They were divided. They were divided at his words. And that's exactly like everyone here. You're divided at these words. And let me tell you how divided you are. It's like on Britain's Got Talent or something like that. You know, you're one of the judges and you're sitting there and someone sings or doesn't, and, and you, you're asked to give your opinion. Should they go through or should they not? And it's either X or zero or whatever it is. You're saying yes or no. There's no in between. There's no, well, um, uh, give me some time to think about it and we'll come back to this one and so on. No, you're asked to say yes or no. Every time you hear the voice of Jesus, you're asked to say yes or no. And you know this, you can feign indifference all you want. You can count the panes in the window. You can think about what you're going to have for lunch. You can be sitting there fizzing mad about something. But the voice of Jesus is still coming through to you. And if you persist in ignoring what he's saying, you're saying no. You're like the child up in their bedroom when their mom shouts them, come down for your tea. And they don't say no, they just don't come. And they pretend that they're deaf and they pretend that they didn't hear. Jesus brought you here and he speaks to you, and you say yes to Jesus, or you say no to Jesus, and there is no in-between. Some people say, oh, David, I thought you were a Calvinist, and isn't that a bit demeaning for God, and surely God commands, and we just respond. Here's the answer to that. Yes, it's incredibly demeaning. How demeaning do you think the cross was? Do you get any more demeaning than that? What, you want someone to get on their knees and beg you? What do you think Jesus did when he died on the cross? 
how more, you know, how, how, could, he, how could he plead with you anymore? Oh, I need this and I need that and I need... How, don't you understand? When he went to the cross, do you not think his, his, eye, his heart was filled with pain? His eyes are filled with tears? And he pleads with you and you go, no, don't think so. No, not yet. No, it's not enough. He does knock on the door and he does ask to come in. The question cannot be unasked. It cannot be unheard. It just has to be answered. But for those of us who are Christians, you're thinking, okay, yeah, that, I can see how that applies to those who are not yet Christians. And if you're not a Christian, by the way, you need to talk about this. Please do speak to us at the end about it. But for those of us who are Christians, you know, we are much more influenced by our culture than we realize. And this applies to us because I tell you what we do. We think that we can be single, self-shepherding sheep. It's the way that you come into church. You sit down, you relax, you sit in judgment upon us. Singing's not so good, didn't read that one so well. Um, sermon, well, that was a pretty good sermon, that was okay, yeah, I like that. And then you do all that kind of stuff, and you go out and you live your own life, and you do your own thing, and it's you and Jesus, and you're getting on fine, and you take a bit of this here, and a bit of that there, and a bit of it there. And not, you don't like sermons which talk about commitment, because that's not grace, is it? And you don't like anything that's a little bit challenging, because you've got it pretty well sussed. And it's hard to admit, as it's really hard for me to admit, that I just don't know. There are so many things I just don't know. But I know I can't make it on my own. Too many of us reflect the cultural individualism of our society, try and make it on our own with a kind of vague personal faith in Jesus, but in practicality it means nothing. You just carry on with your own sweet or your own bitter life. You come to church because it's like coming to the doctor or the chemist or Tesco's or your ancestor's heritage site. And you might as well just click on and go on online. You get your wee fix of what you need to say you are a Christian and to quell your conscience. But you were created for more than that. You are meant to have life and you are meant to have it in community. It is not just about hearing the voice of Jesus. It is also about doing the voice of Jesus. It is not just about knowing about Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus in his people. And that's why we have elders and that's why we have our pastoral groups. And that is a wonderful sound. I should have welcomed you guys. There's no Benjamin Cooper, just absolutely great. He's got the lungs of his dad. So sign him up for the praise band. But, but that's why we have pastoral groups. And that's why we do that, because it's an expression of community. Elders. Let me say something about the elders. What are they? I mean, what impression does that give you? It's kind of, for me, it's sort of Lord of the Rings stuff with old men in black coats sitting around going, we are the elders, and we are wise, you know, and you're, it's kind of Yoda or something, you know. Well, when you see our elders, you realize they're not that. Um, I know. I'm retreating before I, <laughs> before I dig a hole that's way too deep. Um, actually, we've got elders. Can the elders please stand so you can see who they are? Because I know some of your visitors, you haven't a clue when I say elders here. If you're an elder, please stand up. I'm not going to introduce you all, but these are these fine young men and not so young men are elders. Thank you. Please be seated, gentlemen. Brethren, I should say. What are, what are elders? It's an honorary role. 
Or you get to be an elder in the church if you're really, really good. First of all, you become a member, then you become a deacon, then you become an elder if you're really, really good. And if you really reach the top, you're a minister. That's not how it works, and that's not how the church is structured. Here's the simplest way. We're not going to... I'll go into this, as I say, at another time. But here's the simplest way of saying it. Jesus is the shepherd, but he appoints under-shepherds. People who represent him and who do his bidding in that sense. It's an awesome and an incredible responsibility. We don't worship a disembodied Christ. He has a body and the church is it. And these men have been given the awesome and solemn responsibility of looking after and caring for your souls. I knew a woman once who, when I visited her and asked, how are you getting on spiritually? She looked at me and she was so angry. How dare you ask me? No one has ever asked me a question like that. And I said, well, that's a real shame because of course they've got to ask you a question. She was absolutely raging. I'm not sure why. I had to beat a fairly hasty retreat because my reasoned and responsible answer didn't satisfy her. But you want people to ask. McShane in this church, uh, before he was converted, he said this, nobody, I was, grew up in a religious home, I grew up in a Christian home, I went to church, and nobody ever asked me about my soul. Nobody ever asked me where I stood. Because we're, and we're even worse now, aren't we? We're all too polite. We don't want to be too pushy. But it's the most important question you can ever be asked. And it is the elder's responsibility. However, it is also the responsibility that we all have for one another to pastor one another. And it doesn't just happen any more than Christ just happened to go to the cross. Jesus didn't say, oh, there's a bit of a bad deal here. I have to go to the cross. It was planned. He set his face towards Jerusalem. He did it deliberately. If we really want to be a Christian church where we care for and look after one another and we don't want to go into the traps of a kind of authoritarian heavy shepherding or a, oh, it doesn't matter, just let everyone do whatever they want kind of attitudes, then we're going to have to be really, really committed to Jesus Christ and to one another. I don't believe you're committed to Jesus Christ if you're not committed to his church. I really don't. I don't mean the organization, I mean the people. I think somebody who says, I love Jesus, but I can't stand his people, is somebody who thinks that they're being smart and just being incredibly ignorant and selfish and unchristlike. Christ loved his people and died for them, and he says, go and do the same. Take up your cross and follow me. That's what we're about when we're talking about pastoring. That's what we're about when we're talking about following Jesus Christ. That's what we're about when we're talking about being in a church which really cares for one another. I'm going to read just a few verses from Ezekiel 34 to finish. I can't read the whole law. I'd, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love you to read the whole of Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. And that passage goes on to say, where God says, I will do it. I will be their shepherd. 
But woe to you shepherds who dared to say that you shepherded in my name and you did not care for the broken. You did not seek for the lost. You did not heal the sick. You had your pure church. You had your rock-solid body. But anyone who got wounded, they were shot and they were out. They were gone. See, pastoring is really difficult because it really, really hurts. You can end up in a church where everyone is like you and agrees like you, and you'll end up in a church of two or three people or two or three hundred zombies. But it's not a Christian church. A Christian church is where people get hurt, people get wounded, people backslide, people, all different kinds of things happening, and you still love and you still care for them. You have discipline, yes, but it's a loving discipline that's always designed to restore people. And it just comes back again to Jesus Christ. I'm a shepherd in a spiritual sense. And I know how bad a shepherd I am. But thankfully, I look to Jesus, who is the, the good shepherd, and I see that he forgives me, and then says, get on with it. Stop whinging. Get on with it. Get some backbone in you and go and care for my people. I died for them. I died for you. Get on with it. You'll keep screwing up. You'll keep getting things wrong. You'll never, ever be perfect. But isn't that wonderful? Because they're not following you. They're following me. Just get on and, and serve me. I love the church of God. I love this church. I love this congregation. Because I think with all our sins and with all our faults, it's an example of Christian community. And I want to see it grow and to see it deepen. Brian Parr has drawn up, one of our elders has drawn up a a pastoral care program. Um, We're going to try and implement that. We're going to get it wrong. Somebody, somewhere, is going to say something that offends you and hurts you and upsets you. If you're new here, by the way, just give it about a year and I'll do that. Well, give it a week and I'll do that. Just get over it. Get over it. Love Jesus. Love his people. And realize that if you're in a church that you see a lot of sinners in, you're very much at home because you're one as well. But we are sinners who are saved by God's grace. And that's the the wonderfully liberating thing of knowing and following Jesus Christ. He continually comes and seeks for us. If you're lost, he'll find you. If you're hurt, he'll heal you. If you're wounded, if you're confused, he will help you. That's an absolute. There's 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 no ifs and buts in that. That's an absolute. So you can trust him completely and you can get on with serving his people and serving him through that. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.